0: We know that coronavirus will not overcome us. As dark as death can be, particularly for those suffering with grief, light and life are greater. May the living flame of the Easter hope be a steady guide as we face the future.
1: Hi there, you're listening to Royals. It's the only podcast that goes behind the walls of Buckingham Palace. I'm your host for today, Zoe Burrell, and I'm a writer about all things royal at New Idea Magazine.
0: And I'm Angela Mollard. I'm a journalist, commentator, author, and royal expert.
1: And on today's show, we're going to be chatting all about the good friend that revealed Harry is finding life challenging.
0: That's right, Zoe. We're
1: also going to talk about Meghan and Harry's Australian snub. Plus, Beatrice's secret
0: wedding hopes and then this lovely last one Camilla shares something special with friends I had to add that one I just uh we'll get to it and I'll tell you why lots to talk about as always that's right and starting off yet again with Harry and Meghan I mean they've, they've dipped out of the royal family haven't they uh, Zoe but they still seem to be making headlines
1: uh, they, I just don't think they can do anything
0: right at the moment but anyway
1: let's talk about it Exactly. Yes. Well, one of his good friends just gave a very revealing interview. What can you tell us about it?
0: That's right. So, and this is extraordinary because this is the first real insight post-Mexit that we have got into Meghan and Harry's life. They're obviously very close. They don't talk about it. But uh, Jane Goodall, Dr. Jane Goodall, the primatologist who is a very good friend of Harry's. In fact, she was one of the first people to ever hold Archie. Apparently she was visiting them and Megan came in, she was having a chat with Harry. Megan came in with Archie And he was very sleepy. And according to Dr. Goodall, she sort of reached out for Archie and held him and tried to teach him the royal wave. And Harry said, no, no, he's not going to have to live that kind of life. So look, what I love about Jane Goodall is she doesn't tiptoe around things. She tells it like it is. And she has absolutely come out with some blinders. She's done an interview with the Radio Times to promote a new documentary that she's doing. But the stuff that's been picked up is really about her friendship with Harry and Meghan. What she's come out and said is that she has said that he is finding life in Los Angeles challenging. She said, I don't know how his career is going to map out, but yes, I've been in touch, though I think he's finding life a bit challenging right now. Now, of course, she could be uh, referring to coronavirus and the fact that they're locked down, but I think that it's um, deliberately vague. I think it suggests that. Actually, the life that they've chosen for themselves, the fact they've broken away from the royal family at a time when the rest of the royal family are possibly, arguably, more purposeful and necessary than ever. It's very difficult for Harry. His whole purpose in life was to serve. He was dutiful. I mean, he did it in his particular way um, with great humor and and innovation. But the fact that he doesn't have that purpose at the center of of his life, I think, would be incredibly challenging. He's also in an area, I mean, like the rest of us, nobody can really see their friends, but he's not even in the same country as his friends. You know, he's on a different time zone. He's there with his wife. He doesn't have established uh, connections. She's trying to uh, get back to work. So I think uh, Dr. Jane Goodall's insight is absolutely fascinating. She goes on, obviously, to talk about a lot of other things with respect to their their friendship. But that one line, I think, uh, speaks volumes and will be widely picked up. I mean, remember that... uh, that Harry interviewed her for British Vogue magazine when the the issue that Meghan guest edited last September. And this is the interview that they did where he talked about that he only wanted two children maximum and how the environmental impact was terrifying. So they have a really uh, established friendship there. Is she speaking out of turn? Look, I think she has the benefit of being 86 and you're allowed to do what you like when you get to that age. I'm not sure Harry would want her to have said some of the things he's said because he, she's also mentioned that he is going to give up hunting. Now, I did of, enjoy reading about this this morning. Uh, look, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? That, um, so she makes the point. I mean, her documentary is obviously she's a wildlife campaigner, and William and Harry are both wildlife campaigners, and she's she makes the point, uh, in the interview that, you know, that they are champions of the natural world. And she interjects during the interview and says, yes, except they hunt and shoot. Um, And then she goes on to say, but I think Harry will stop because Meghan doesn't like hunting. So I suspect that is over for him. Now, the way she's positioned that is that he's a naughty boy doing the wrong thing. And his, his, um, you know, right on wife is the one that's stepping in. I don't think that's a good look. I mean, Harry in the past has been previously condemned for images that show him. There was one in 2004, showed him next to the body of a water buffalo that he'd shot dead. Uh, And then back in 2014, he and William uh, went to Spain on a deer and wild boar hunting trip at the same time as the Duke of Cambridge launched an appeal to stop illegal hunting of wildlife. So they've been called out on it before. I think she's using this opportunity to send a a deeper message to people who do hunt that it's not the right thing to do. But in bringing Meghan and Harry into it, of course, she's shone a spotlight on them at a time when they do not want to be in the public eye. So really interesting timing. I don't imagine she's had their permission and I think the word challenging pretty much does sum up what life must be like for him right now.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely. It's so hard for everyone and, as you say, let alone Harry being on the other side of the world. Mm.
0: And there's and it must be also hard, so seeing the rest of the royal family being so engaged with the nation. We saw the Queen twice in a week, uh, once on video, once on audio. Uh, both on a Sunday, deliver a message to the nation, a really important message, a message that was widely regarded to be spot-on, Churchillian in tone, very calming. I mean, the Queen is this this sort of uh, figure of certainty and constancy uh, in a very uncertain world. And that's, in fact, what the royal family, you know, from the top to the bottom, stand for. They are an institution that uh, people hold on to in times of challenge and, you know, in times of upset. I mean, there's a lot of people in grief, they they haven't been with their loved ones as they've died. And someone like the Queen, who's who's reigned for 68 years and has lived through wars and all sorts of uh, international disasters and catastrophes, you know, her Easter message was, you know, we will prevail, there will still be light and love and you know, she's so purposeful and there's Harry, you know, petulantly with his wife sort of sloping off from the royal family when they could really be making a difference. And it's, it's pretty hard for them to prosecute anything they want to do right now without being seen to be attention-seeking. Uh, yes, and,
1: well, uh, in that vein, I mean, we've also heard reports that Meghan and Harry may do a tell-all interview, which I don't personally think is such a good idea, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> common sense tells me that this isn't the right thing for
0: them to do. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. They've been, it's been touted that they would be paid a million dollars, which doesn't seem a lot really, but um, I mean, it don't, I know it does seem a lot, but for an interview of that magnitude oh my gosh, you're so right. If they were to sit down with Oprah or the like, and I'm presuming it would be someone like Oprah because, of course, Megan is friends with Oprah and as is um, Doria Raglan, her mum, and to speak at all in any detail about the royal family, and to really, and to do an interview, you would have to have some elements of that, about what that was like. There is no way that that is... I mean, it would be car crash, Prince Andrew-style interview, Part Two, now, I know that you know you, ha- you have to presume that Megan would be coming at it from the perspective of diana 's interview with Martin Bashir. You know that kind of um, you know I was a victim style interview i don 't know if she would do it that way, but if she did, she would be absolutely hammered because while the public had affection for Diana because the three in the marriage um, scenario with Charles and camilla i don 't think there is that depth of affection for Meghan I mean she was in the royal family for a blink before she was out of it and you know that lack of constancy staying power is right now juxtaposed against what the Queen's doing what William and Kate are doing what Charles and Camilla are doing I think anything that they said in an interview would go down so badly
1: oh yes I agree with you but um one thing that they might want to explain though is why they snubbed a special Australian offer do you think (laughs)
0: That's right, Zoe. They have a, uh, a massive snub to Australia. So what happened is the Rural Fire Service has come out and revealed that they wanted to call an air tanker after Archie. Um, these, these are the air tankers that were so uh, useful during the bushfires that you know the ones were, that were dropping water. Now the reason they wanted to call this new air tanker. Uh, Archie was because of course Meghan announced her pregnancy when the couple were in Australia and they thought it would be a lovely thing that that when Archie grew up he could come to Australia and see his namesake. Anyway they wrote to Harry and Meghan and asked if it would be okay for the name to be on the side of the plane. I mean we're not talking a commercial plane or a helicopter service or anything like that. We are talking you know a firefighting vehicle and um, they said no. They said he had not yet entered public life and Nope, they couldn't use the name. This, of course, the same week that Harry and Meghan announced that they're using the name Archwell as their new corporate charity institution that they set up. So they're happy to repurpose his name and the meaning of that name in their own endeavours. And yet when a very – and remember, Kate and William were going to come out and visit uh, after the bushfires – To show their support to Australia. And here's Harry and Meghan not letting a plane be named after their son. I mean, it's so petulant and unnecessary. Does it harm him? I don't think it harms him at all to have a plane named
1: after him. In fact, I'm sure a a little boy would love to have a plane named after them. Exactly. And then you can
0: tell the story of what this plane does and why. Ah, uh, the royal families—you know why, you know, how we're part of the Commonwealth. I mean, it's a—it's a lesson in history for their child and something very special. Well, instead, the rural fire service decided to name it after Marie Bashir, the um, first female governor of New South Wales, and she came out and said that she was hugely humbled by the decision, which is exactly what Prince Harry and Meghan should really have said at that offer very precious, not in the spirit of the times. And um, they seem to be getting it really wrong at the moment. Um, And I think this will continue to happen. They now have celebrity management, not royal management. And those are two completely different things. And I think Harry's the one that's going to miss out. He's going to be the one that's repositioned away from being somebody whose relevance and purposefulness is very important on the world stage to this kind of Meghan brand of Kind of pseudo royal positioning. I mean, she's it, it, she is she's she's going back into celebrity land with you know interviews with saying no to this and yes to that and Disney programs and that sort of thing. It's not what the royals are. No one's saying that she they can't break away and have a more private life. But I think the management of their uh, projects is paramount. They have to get that right and they have to get the messaging around it right. Right now, they're not.
1: There's another family making a difference during coronavirus, isn't there? What's your names? My name's Harris. My name's Hello, Harris. Harris. Hi, Harris. My name's Lloyd. Lloyd, hi. Hi, hi Lloyd. Very nice to meet you. It's, I'm Catherine, and this is William next to me. And are you holding out pictures of your mummies and daddies? Oh, look, the
0: Cambridges are amazing, don't you think, Zoe? It's almost like they've come into their own, everything from their children clapping to the beautiful picture of Kensington Palace, the front lawn covered in uh, daffodils, which was just a beautiful thing to share. I mean, every week we saw that um, lovely Instagram post with Kate in in a beautiful yellow jumper and and William talking to the children of frontline workers. It was natural, it was warm, you know, it was informative. And then, of course, just in the last couple of days, we've seen William, through his role as the patron of the National Emergencies Trust, uh, speak to small charities who are helping disabled people and people that are uh, struggling with lots and lots of projects that they're working on. Now, this this um, this trust was set up only last month. William is driving it. It's already raised $25 million, which is going out into the communities to keep people working, to keep vegetables supplied to people, all sorts of good things. He checked in with a, a couple of uh, the charities and they were really... I mean, they weren't pompous. They were just one caring person to another, having a chat about what they're doing and, and bringing awareness to these charities.
1: And where are you, Jackie, exactly?
0: So, Ghoul uh, which is in the East Riding of Yorkshire.
1: And, and, Jackie, how has the NET helped you?
0: I mean, he is really spearheading the royal families, uh, along with the Queen. It's really spearheading their response. And as I said earlier, you know, they are more relevant than they've been in a long while because right now people turn to that sort of sense of stability and solidness that they need it's it's, it's doing a remarkable job and I loved that video Kate I, I got a you know she sort of said oh I'm Catherine and you're and this is William and I love the way that you can it gave you an insight as to what she must be like at home I think she's supremely organized I think she's the boss in the relationship because she sort of led the conversation, um, but in a nice way. I mean in that sort of, you know, mother of three children, does 50 million things a day and, you know, and, and has a really, really strong connection to not just her own children but um, but to other people's children as well. She, the way she speaks to children I think it's instinctive and very warm.
1: Yeah, I agree. I absolutely loved that interview and I even liked the little – teasing nudge she gave William saying he's eating all the Easter eggs
0: <laughs> yeah I know That's, it's just normal That's yeah. like, I love that and, and look and I think the other thing is we think about who they are and what they're doing but the fact that these two are bringing up the next heir to the throne you can imagine that in the same way that Diana brought up Harry and William to visit um, homeless charities and AIDS patients, and you can see that uh, that act of service now being born through in, in William's work. You can imagine that even a generation on from that, the work that Kate and William do, and the fact they talk to their children about this sort of work, means that they, as royals, in a, you know a new generation of royals, will have that that same act of service and sense of duty that has you know been passed down from the Queen.
1: Yeah, of course. And speaking of kind of royals' duty, bizarrely, we've also seen some images of Prince Andrew working for the first time since, you know, that interview.
0: That's right, that interview back in um, back in November last year. I mean, we've not seen Andrew at all. This is really interesting, Zoe. So, what the, there's some images on uh, Sarah Ferguson, and Prince Andrew, and Princess Eugenie, and her husband Jack Brooksbank. They're all living together through the coronavirus crisis and they're all doing a lot of uh charity work and very tentatively Fergie herself didn't put up these pictures but her personal assistant did and it was pictures of her and Andrew packing these pink bags with cupcakes and sandwiches and toiletries for hospice workers and then they're delivering them to them now you can see how cautiously this is been done. If Sarah had posted those images herself, she would be seen to be grandstanding. Um, Andrew, of course, could post them. So there were there was sort of um, how would you describe them? It was a it was a careful ploy so that it wasn't being seen to them self. grand You know, there was no sense of self congratulation in what they were doing. But it was clear that Fergie wanted it to be seen and Andrew probably as well that they were involved in um in the coronavirus effort what did I make of it I thought look I'm a skeptic and I think that um you know he needs to lay low good on him if he's packing a few cupcakes but why is he doing it? You know, I I, I don't know. He's we we know he's um, not been doing any royal work since that interview, and that investigation was obviously still pending. Um, we don't know. You know, obviously prosecutors and things can't get on with that work on that case at the moment. But we know there's still a lot to run on that before there's any kind of conclusive ending to it. So a very bizarre, interesting thing for her to um, for her to post through her her personal assistant, but. It just felt a bit icky to me, even still.
1: Mm, I know what you mean, but you know, I mean, at least he's doing his bit. No, I want the truth on Prince Andrew. Of course, though, poor Princess Beatrice, this wedding is definitely not going to plan, but now there's been calls for her to change them. What's that about?
0: Well, as we know, she's due to get married on May 29. She's made no official uh, comment on what is actually happening, whether that wedding's going ahead or not. Certainly the um, the party at uh, Buckingham Palace, of course, is, is not happening because the um, the UK is in lockdown. Uh, she hasn't said whether she's going to marry or not, but there's strong calls now and some suggestion that she's talking behind the scenes about making the wedding next year and making it bigger and bigger. Uh, uh, more um, just a, just just a more of a sense of occasion than she had anticipated, basically to boost morale uh, among English uh, among the British, but also I imagine globally. So whether or not that will happen, we don't know. Of course, she hasn't been able to go ahead with these wedding plans. Her, her um, fiance is Italian. The, the Italians have been um, highly, you all know, his family would have been affected by the lockdown in Italy. So the wedding, you know, I mean, a poor thing. She's really, um, she's really missed out. But I think it would be lovely. Uh, you know, she is a private person, much more so than Princess Eugenie. But I do hope that I hope there is a lovely wedding at the end of this, and I do hope that they sh- Maybe it is a bit more uh, glamorous, and and maybe she does share a bit more than she intended to. I think it would be lovely if that happened.
1: I think so too, because the public do need that little morale boost as well, which a wedding always brings. That's true, and also
0: I think it just for their family the um the Yorks i mean they've before coronavirus they've you know they've been as we were just discussing prince andrew there's been a lot happening there. Mm-hmm. I think a good news story for that family would be very necessary i mean neither of those girls are in any way um, uh, uh, you know that, that they have nothing to do with this court case that's going on around their dad, but unfortunately they've been um, incredibly uh, uh, smirched by it and that's that's a real sadness I hope Prince I really do hope Beatrice has a lovely wedding she gets on with being a stepmother and presumably will want children herself
1: exactly so do I now finally Camilla has shared something really special what is it
0: well, as a reader myself, Zoe, I love the fact that she's done this. And Camilla's just nailing it. She's talked about domestic um, violence um, victims. She's been very caring in her uh, approach through, during corona, coronavirus. But I really like this. So there's a picture of her sitting on the steps in jeans and a jumper at uh, Burke in Scotland, where the two of them were both, she and Charles were both self isolating. And she's the pictures of her completely engrossed in a book. And she's decided to share um, through their media, social media channels, her basically her reading list. And and I think she's done this because she's been speaking, um, I think we spoke about it last week, she's been doing these one-on-one chats with, um, with people who are living alone and alone. And, and through those chats, she's talked a lot about books that she's been reading. Anyway, she's published this list of books that she says that she's enjoyed and that she thought others might um, enjoy reading as well. So um, she put up this list, and it includes Charles Dickens' uh, A Tale of Two Cities, uh, The Cazalet Chronicles by Elizabeth Jane Howard, uh, which she's described as the one, that the, the chronicles that would pick, keep her uh, company on a deserted island. She's also included Restless by William Boyd, uh, a modern author, A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Towles; The Red Notebook by Antoine Lorraine, and The Architects Apprentice by Elif Shafak. So these are, I mean, massive... Um, uh, Variation in her recommendations, I love it. But the last book that she recommended was um, a book written by her late brother Mark Shand, who died uh, in 2014, and that was Travels on My Elephant. And she said, "My late brother's tale of his love affair with Tara, an Asian elephant, on their journey across India, it always brings a tear to my eye." And then she she went on to say that um, so many of us are finding comfort in reading, and that Ernest Hemingway famously said, "There is no friend as loyal as a book." I completely agree with her at the moment. I'm loving getting out of my own story and getting into another story every night when I go to bed. What about you, Zoe?
1: Oh, yes, exactly. Well, I'm just, I've am just i just finished a book, so I listened to that list you just mentioned. I might have to go and pick up one of those. And what was your book you just finished? Oh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, I've heard that's brilliant. That's yes. Is it, is it good? Yes, you must pick up a copy.
0: Oh, excellent. Okay, that's my next one. with <laughs> Um, Fleischman is in Trouble.
1: Have Perfect. you read that? No, I
0: haven't. Oh, that's great too. So there's our recommendations. We've added to some, just
1: basically you, me and Camilla, Zoe. <laughs> exactly. There you go. And everyone else can follow along and read with us. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ange.
0: Thanks, Zoe. Talk again soon.
1: And thank you to everyone for listening. For more on the Royals, please go to newidea.com.au or our Facebook page, New Idea Royals. And of course, don't forget to pick up a copy of New Idea Royals Monthly on sale now.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news ad free listening is available on Amazon Music where all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership.